Yeah. How's everybody feeling today? You feeling good? Are you happy? Man, we have Easter right around the corner, and that is um, exciting. It is exciting. Easter is a tremendous season, and um, uh, uh, it's just amazing. That song today, All Hell, King Jesus, and going into the Easter season, just recognizing everything there is to know about about him and what he did for us, our King and our Lord and our Savior. We're very, very, very thankful for him and thankful for you today. Good to see you on this uh, wonderful Sunday. Spring has sprung. Anybody feeling allergies at all? Anybody feeling allergies at all? Yeah, I, um, I was down in Houston for a few days this week, and, um, and it was like, of course, I was raised in Houston, and so I think it's kind of like if you were born in a foreign country, you can drink the water, right? And so I go down there, and even though there's green pine pollen everywhere, everything is green down there from pollen. You know, you park your truck, and it turns green. And, and it, although there, all of my allergy symptoms disappeared until I got to Henrietta yesterday. <laughs> and it's like... Welcome back to green country, you know. It's like, man, something else. But God's good anyway, right? And um, those um, allergies mean something to me, very significant, so I am happy to embrace them in my life. It means that summer is here, just like right there. We almost can touch summer, so I'm thankful for that. I love summer. Uh, God is good to us. We have been talking about the grand story and our intention leading into Easter, so we're doing this all the way into Easter. It was really funny several weeks ago, somebody said, you're already in your Easter series? Well, man, we got a lot to unpack. I mean, a lot to unpack. And um, this being, I believe, the sixth, sixth week of this series, and, and we still haven't gotten out of Exodus. I mean, think about that for a second. I mean, when we, went, when we first started talking about this series, I thought we would be well into the prophets concerning um, the Messiah and what the Old Testament speaks concerning Christ and how it all correlates, that it's not, it's not multiple stories and, and you can't just like say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a New Testament person, I'm not an Old Testament person. No, we're, we're a grand story people where it's, the whole Bible is telling a story about, about Christ and, and and so I thought, man, we would be, we'd be farther along um, than Exodus by this time, but we're not. Uh, and we're not moving farther out of Exodus today. Um, I don't know everything that Pastor Trent has planned for his final installment of this on Palm Sunday, but, but I know that, um, that I, think he, I think he's got some plans to hopefully have us somewhere out of Exodus um, and I'm already working on uh, my Easter Sunday message, and, and uh, yeah, you're going to find out. And, uh, you know, so last week we, we focused on Moses and, and how that Moses now has, has come on the scene, and we sort of we sort of left off with them the night they exited Egypt. So we, we ended with the Passover and what the Passover land means and, and all of that. And if you didn't get a chance to, to um, hear that last week, I think it's, it's worth the listen. And uh, go to iTunes or Stitcher. You can download our podcast for free. 
and, um, and you can catch up with that. But today I'm picking up the grand story with, with Israel on the um, other side of uh, the Red Sea, and they're in the wilderness. They're marching toward the promised land. Now everything that, everything that God had promised them up to this point had, had come to pass. Now have you know that the people of Israel really frustrated God in the wilderness. I mean, you know that. that, that matter of fact, many translations even say that. They frustrated God. I hope I have never frustrated God. I have, I have a feeling I may have. You know, I, I know there's probably people in this room, you definitely probably frustrated God. Can you imagine, can you imagine that? I mean, it's kind of, a, it's not really a concept that under grace we really think about. That, that here they are in the wilderness. God had just performed these miraculous things among them. They went through the plagues and were unscathed. They went through the Red Sea. I mean, they hadn't even really gotten out. You know, it's like, it's like they were traveling from Tulsa, right? They hadn't even got to Oatmulgee yet because, you know, the promised land is... South. Yeah. Think about it for a second. They're standing here. They've just seen all these miraculous signs and wonders. And they get to the Red Sea. And they immediately start complaining. Like they didn't wait. They didn't wait like like a child would wait at least an hour into the drive before they start saying, are we there yet? You know, they, they didn't wait, you know, until you got maybe an hour and a half down the road and, and the kids start going, I'm hungry. Okay? No, no, they, 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 ain't even, they haven't even really gone anywhere yet. And they already start complaining, saying, look at what God brought us here to kill us. He brought us out here to kill us. Moses, he just kind of quietened all that and said, oh, wait a minute, um, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And how many of you know the story that, that, that God parted the sea for them and they crossed over on dry ground? And they all crossed over. And Pharaoh and his crew thought they'd be smart and do the same thing. And they got out in the middle and God collapsed the water on top of them. And they defeated, completely defeated Pharaoh that day. And they had a moment there that they, that they kind of rejoiced. They had a moment where they sang songs of deliverance, like, look at what God has done. He has delivered us out of the hand of Pharaoh. They had a moment of rejoicing, but it, but it wasn't too long after that that they fell back into complaining mode. They, they started saying things like this, it would have been better for us to have stayed in Egypt. I mean, at least in Egypt we had garlic and onions. God has brought us out here to, to kill us. And they, they kind of go back into this woe is me mantra. And over and over again, if you read through the Exodus, over and over again, they, they bring themselves back to this place of complaining, grumbling. I mean, there, there, were, there were points where their complaining and grumbling made God so mad that, that he, he told Moses, who by all intents and purposes was their leader, their pastor. Moses was the guy. They lost faith. 
They want to go back to Egypt. And this, you know, this angered God. And there were points where, where, where God even spoke to Moses and said, you know, I'm just going to kill them all. I mean, if that's what they're going to accuse me of, that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to kill them all. And Moses would fall on his face before God and say, oh, God, no, don't kill them. How can you do that? Then, then, then the fame of all over the world of you would be that you brought the people out here just to kill them. And, and, and that's not what you did here. And, 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 and then God would say, okay, I won't kill them. I'm, okay, I forgive them. I'll forgive them. Oh, there were other times where Moses got so mad at them, he wanted to kill them, right? He was like, God, kill, just kill them. Just kill them. I'm, I'm tired of it. Just do it. I had an elder pastor one time tell me, he said, you know the, the secret of longevity in pastoring one church for a long period of time is, is that um, you and God never agree on when you kill the people. I'm thinking he had some jade in his heart a little bit toward it. I don't know. I haven't got that point yet. Never felt that way. So you be, be happy. Be happy. I've never had that argument with God about any of you. So yeah. a couple of you are thinking, man, I, I wonder if he really did, though. But uh, No, I mean, it's amazing that, that, that they go through all of this. But at the same time, listen, they sinned. I mean, they got out there and Moses disappeared for 40 days up with God on the mountain, getting the Ten Commandments, getting all this, uh, uh, all these... Uh, laws and things that God wanted the people to do. And, and, and they started going, you know, he's been gone a long time. Maybe we should make us a God. And they made a calf and, and they worshipped that. I mean, it was just all this. But yet God continued to bless them. When you think about their time in the wilderness, when you think about the blessing of God that was upon them, these people had been enslaved for years all of these people were born into an Egypt situation that wasn't good for them. And yet the reality of their life is this. that I love that verse that says that not, when they walked out of Egypt, there was not a single feeble person among them. That, I mean, the night they ate the Passover, there was miraculous healing. I mean, if you think about that for a second, people that had been enslaved, had been beaten, had been... Had been Making bricks and, and building buildings. And yet when they ate the Passover lamb, there was mass healing among all of them. And the Bible says there was not a single feeble one among them. How miraculous is that? And what about the sojourning in the wilderness? I mean, you know that they, that they wandered for many years because they just would not accept the promise of God. For 40 years, the extra years they spent out there. Did you know that the Bible says that their clothes did not wear out? That the sandals, the shoes on their feet did not wear out? These are walking people. It's not like they're riding around in Rolls Royces, right? They're not driving Harleys. But yet God miraculously sustained them. He miraculously sustained them that even their clothes didn't wear out. Even their shoes. They wore the same pair of shoes for years. And the soles never wore. The straps never broke. I mean, that would be, that would be an amazing thing. I would think that you could even just look at that. But what about the fact that God fed them? That God fed them, that they would get into places where they, where they, where they, you know, where they were complaining about the food, and, and God said, "Well, then I'll, I'll give them food." And 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 had so, had so God caused the dew in the morning to turn into 
what they would call manna. The word manna means what is it. They literally opened their tent flaps and went, what is it? And it was heavenly bread. They complained for meat, and so God sent quail among them. And so we have, we have all of these miracles, all of these miracles going on. I mean, God is leading them. God is leading them in a pillar of fire by night and a, and a cloud by day. I mean, some scholars would even go as far to say that, that it gets cold in the desert at night, and so the fire kept them warm. The fire of God kept them warm. It gets very hot during the day, and so the cloud of God kept them cool. This is the God whom they are serving. This is the God whom they are now complaining about. I say, you know what God do? I mean, it was better for us in Egypt. Isn't it amazing how quickly you can turn to that with a spirit of complaint? You know, maybe my, maybe my life was better before. And we kind of look back. Was it really better for them in Egypt? I mean, where they were being beaten? Where they were being where they were slaves? That I mean, where they, where they were under a Pharaoh that was, that was demanding all of the mothers who bore a son to throw their son to the, to the alligators, the crocodiles in the Nile River? I mean, that's better? That's better than this miraculous walk you're on? That's better than... I mean, you, you really have turned into a terrible nostalgia if you believe that. You know, nostalgia has a way of helping us remember the good and forgetting the bad, right? You know, that's why the Bible declares to all of us that don't say the former days are better than these because those who say such things are not wise. Because when a spirit of nostalgia sets on, then they're, they, they're remembering the onions. They're remembering the garlic. And they're forgetting the beatings and the slavery and their children, their baby, their little newborn baby boys being thrown into the river. How, how is that better? So today, I pick up on this story. And we're going to do a little bit of reading. Um, my personal intention in this series is there, I read a lot of verses because I want you to see it directly. In Exodus 17, we're going to talk about one particular miraculous happening that, that, that ties directly to Christ. All right? In Exodus chapter 17, beginning with verse 1, it says, The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin and traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They capped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to test? But the people were thirsty for water there and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel. and Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile. And go, I will stand before you by the rock at Horeb. 
strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. And so Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. See, this is one of those complaining moments. This is one of those moments where they're, they're not trusting in the promise of God. It's one of those moments where they lapse into this thing. It would have been better for us to stay in Egypt than to die of thirst out here. God's not going to let you die of thirst. But as we see here, God commanded Moses to strike the rock. And from that moment, there was a supply of water from that rock. The people had all the water they needed to sustain life from this miraculous source. But what is extremely important for us to to recognize is is what all of that represents. And Paul, writing to the Corinthian church, makes this very powerful distinction. Look, Look at 1 Corinthians 10 verse 1. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud. They all passed through the sea. It's talking about the Exodus. They were all baptized into Moses through the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. Paul declares that this miraculous rock that accompanied them in that wilderness, this rock from which water flowed to sustain life for them, was in fact Christ. And this is extremely important because, I mean, we're going to focus very heavily on that, but, but it's extremely important because there's another mention of the rock, all right? There was another place where the rock shows up. In Numbers chapter 20, they quarreled with Moses and said, if, we had, if only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt into this terrible place that has no grain or figs or grapevines or pomegranates and there's no water to drink? It's the same people that have already experienced a miraculous flow of water from the rock. And yet now they are going right back to the same complaint. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell face down. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord said to Moses, take the staff. You and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Notice... Speak to that rock before their eyes, and I will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. But what we find out is that Moses is so frustrated with the people. He is so angry with the people that he did not follow the command of the Lord here. The Lord this time... First time, God said, strike the rock. This time, God says, speak to the rock. 
But Moses got so angry. He was so angry about all of this. He was so frustrated about all this that when he got to the rock, he did not speak to the rock. In fact, he struck the rock two times. He hit that rock two times. And this was so offensive to God. This was so offensive to God that that, 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 that one act of him striking the rock a second and third time when he was supposed to speak to the rock. That act caused Aaron and Moses to not be able to enter the promised land. Matter of fact, in Numbers 20.12, it says this, But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I gave them. And it's just not too far along that Aaron dies in the wilderness and then before the children of Israel would enter into the promised land, Moses would beg God. At the end of Moses' life, he begged God, let me go in. Please, let me take the people in. And God said, no, you did not honor me as holy. When I said speak to the rock, You struck it two more times. Why? I mean, is it just an act of of disobedience? I mean, had not the people already lived in so much disobedience for that? That rock was Christ. And Christ will only be struck once. There will only be one cross. There will only be one beating. There will only be one crown of thorns. There will only be one crucifixion. One dishonoring. They're only going to strike the rock once. And then beyond that, the rock will be honored. And Moses, hitting the rock a second and a third time, did not honor God as holy. See, when we know that that rock was Christ, it opens up so many things that we find in the New Testament about Jesus. One particular instance that that we, we can't pass up is when Jesus met that woman at the well. Let, let's read the story in John chapter 4. Now, he had to go through Samaria, and he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, and near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph, Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Will you give me to drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said, You are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did 
also his sons and livestock. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up into eternal life. The woman said, give me this water so that I, don't, so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. At this point, she still didn't get it. That rock was Christ. And the water that flows from Christ is a spiritual drink. That water that flows from Christ is, is, a, is, a, it is an eternal life blessing. Jesus Christ came to give a new kind of water. It was the water of life from the Spirit. And he told her, you drink this water and you will thirst again. But the water I'm coming, the water that I'm bringing will quench your thirst forever. And to me, that is a staggering thought that Jesus as the rock came to open the floodgates of living water. That we would never again, and neither did the children of Israel in the wilderness, we never again have to worry about being thirsty. We never again have to wonder, where is our sustaining going to come from? Where is our quenching going to come from? There are, so many, there are so many things I think people clamor for to try to quench that thirst. And Jesus is saying, listen, don't, don't try the natural water. The natural water, you will thirst again. No matter how much of it you drink, you will thirst again. But I'm coming to bring a water that is a spiritual water. It flows from the rock. And I came for you to have that water. This is confirmed in John 7, verse 37. On the last And great day of the festival, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. That rock was Christ. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Then John gives us the interpretation. By this he meant the Spirit whom those who believe in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. See, this gift of water that Jesus Christ came is a flow of the Holy Spirit working in our life, something that, 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 that we would have been completely foreign to had it not been for the rock. Had it not been for the fact that that rock was Christ and that that Christ would be smitten one time on a, on a hill called Calvary. He would be smitten that day. But, but, but what happens because Christ was smitten? What happens because of that? The water flows. The water of the Spirit flows. Matter of fact, this is the interpretation. By this he meant the Spirit whom those who, those who believed in him were later to receive. That after crucifixion, after resurrection, there is glorification. And after glorification, there is the reception of this living water that flows from the rock that was smitten. This water that flows even right now. This water of the Spirit, this living water that flows in our lives. Dwelling in us both by faith and salvation and by baptism and spiritual empowerment. It's the water of life and it flows from the rock Christ Jesus. 
It flows from us being able to attest and honor God and say that one who was smitten once, I believe in him. And I trust in him. And I honor him. I mean, I think that's what's so beautiful about the way way God orchestrates what we do, how we do it, even as a church, that today we would we would end our worship with a song. Not of my picking. Because Pastor Cleveland and his prayer, and he ends with this all. Hail King Jesus, we honor you today. Our King, our Savior, our Rock. How powerful this is, this promise of the living water. This promise of the living water, the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. Not as some abstract thing or thought or something that says, no, this living water, it flows from within us through faith in Christ. It flows from within us through faith in Christ. As I've already said, there's reception of this living water by faith and salvation. There is, there is empowerment that happens through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That, 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 that this rock, this rock in our life allows this living water to flow Freely. And Jesus said, You'll never thirst again. I think that that's why the apostle, in his writing, warned concerning the idea of what was, what was written as quenching the Holy Spirit in our life, you know, cutting it off. That there ought to be, there ought to be a prayer in us, or, or, or at, least a, at least a desire in us to, to recognize the flow of the Spirit in our life. The flow of the Spirit, the spiritual water. And that if we quench it, if we stop it, then we start getting thirsty again. And we start trying to satisfy that thirst with something other than. Boy, are, are y'all listening to me today? I mean, it's like intense in this place right now. Just the way everybody's kind of staring at me. It's a sobering thought. And I mean, it is so sobering to us. It, it, because listen, how, how important is the water? How important is this? Well, Revelation 22 says it's the call of the Spirit and the church. The call of the Spirit and the church. The Spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. Let them come. Like the very call of the church. The very call of the church is the same call as the call of the Spirit. And the Spirit saying, you're thirsty, come. You need hope. Come, you need help in the wilderness. Come, there's a rock from which the water of life flows. He was smitten for you. And now he's asking you to speak. He's asking you to speak. For with the heart, one believes. And with the mouth, 
one speaks, Jesus is Lord. Honor the rock. Honor the rock. Speak to the rock. Jesus is Lord. And if you'll believe in your heart that God raised Christ from the dead, that one who was smitten, and if you'll speak with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. These happenings in the wilderness with the rock are the gospel story. And today, we have that opportunity to honor the rock. To honor the rock. And say, wait a minute. Have I dishonored the rock in my life? I mean, I, I know I'm saved, but are there other areas of my life where I'm quenching the flow of the water? Are there areas in my life where I'm, where I'm declaring something else as Lord over my life? That I'm allowing something else to Lord over me? Maybe today in those areas of my life, I need to go back to honoring the rock. That one who was smitten once, maybe I should speak to him again and say, wait a minute, that's not the Lord. That's, that's not the Lord of my life. Jesus is Lord. Maybe there are areas in our lives that we need to surrender. Maybe we need to just, just take a good evaluation of our life and say, you know what, I really need, I, I really need to just give that to the Lord today. And honor Him. Honor the rock from which the living water flows. He was smitten today. We're not asking... We're not, we're not, you know, even Paul even warned and said, you know what, you can, you can try. And then people have literally on a spiritual sense crucified the Lord again. And you don't honor God by crucifying him again. You dishonor God by smiting the rock again. You can't smite the rock now. You've got to speak to the rock. You've got to speak to the rock. What, what's, what's, what is it? What do we, what do we look about? We'll tell you this. You don't have to be thirsty. I don't have to be thirsty. I don't, I don't have to be. I mean, how many areas of our lives could we be thirsty in? Are you hurting? Are you tired? Are you anxious? Are you sick? Are there areas of your life of confusion or darkness? Pain? Speak to the rock. Speak to the rock. Water's flowing from the rock. You don't have to be thirsty. Amen. Stand with me today. Please. In the Philippines, when we do baptisms there, when there's normally about 80 to 100. I mean, they baptize at other times, but when the missionaries come, there, there's, um, there's usually about 80 to 100 people that want to be baptized by the missionaries. And um, something always, always strikes me about those baptism services. We're out, we're out in the ocean. And there, it's a beach, and there's other people there, people that aren't with, with us, just regular local people that have brought their families down to the beach. These um, Philippine believers, they're not ashamed of the gospel in which they believe in, so they, they don't try to hide the fact that we're doing something very churchy here on the beach today. And they have them, there's a group of 
people from the churches that gather and, and they usually stay either up on the deck or on along the beach. And the candidates for baptism, they instruct them before baptism. And, and as they're preparing, we, we go out into the water with the Philippine pastors and we're, every missionary is assigned with someone. And sometimes American missionaries are paired together. And Mackenzie and has baptized with her dad, Joe, many, many Filipinos in this, in this way. Um, and one by one, we, we baptize them. But while we're, while we're doing that, Mackenzie, you'll, you'll remember this, they raise their hands as they're walking in the water. This group of church, the church people start singing, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. And they walk into the water with their hands raised in honoring of the rock. I have decided to follow Jesus. And this, and this moment in their life is this idea of satisfaction in him. Of satisfaction in him that my decision today to honor the rock. I'm always moved by that. Today, Whatever area of your life, whatever area of your life that you may be facing, that you, you need to speak to the rock, all right? Start with this understanding that I'm just going to follow. I'm going to follow Jesus. I mean, if you really read what Paul said to the Corinthian church, that rock stayed with them. And how in the world they could grumble against a God that would provide. I guess that's another story to tell. But I will tell you this. Today we have the opportunity to follow Jesus. Who is following us, the rock. (laughs) And receive that water of life freely. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment? If you're here today and that resonates with you, would you just slip a hand up and say, you know what, I want a fresh start. Today, I want to I want a fresh start. Thank you so much. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you. Jesus name. I want us to pray together with these that raised their hands. I'd like for everybody to repeat this prayer after me. If you raised your hand, let this be a moment of faith in your life. We're speaking to the rock. We're honoring the rock. We're speaking to the rock. The one who was smitten once. Water is flowing. Water is flowing. And if you'll speak to the rock, the water will flow in your life. It'll flow today. That water of the Holy Spirit, that water of life will flow in your life. So let's do this together. I'm going to help you along. And then I'm going to pray a corporate prayer over us at the end of this. But everybody praying with me to not embarrass anyone that raised their hands. We just say, Father, I thank you right now for the opportunity I have to speak to the rock. Jesus. Let the water of life flow freely in my life. I don't quench it. I receive it. I thank you right now for the Holy Spirit that is presently flowing in my life. I thank you for this opportunity to have a fresh start. I know God raised Christ from the dead. And I declare Jesus Christ, the rock, 
the Lord over every part of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody said amen to that. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. Father, right now I speak over this people. I speak over this congregation. I declare in the mighty name of Jesus.